G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's the ultimate example of cause and effect. I know as a husband, I've been married 30 years, and if I said those things to my wife, I would die. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff speaks from the books of Galatians and Malachi about reaping what we sow. It's in his message, Cause and Effect. Whoever sows to please their flesh, in other words, if your entire life is about pleasurable satisfaction and meeting the desires of the flesh without any parameters, it says ultimately, you're going to reap destruction. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6. Two passages of Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Powerful passage. And also Malachi chapter 3. That's the last book in the Old Testament. Third chapter. Just hold those. Uh, Here's what we believe as Christ followers. We believe that, that God has established this principle called reaping and sowing that uh, he set up the universe like this and doesn't need to be hands-on all the time because it's already involved in the creation scenario. That there are certain things in your life, if you do this, this is going to be the result. And if you don't do this, this is going to be the result. So God kind of sets the creation in motion and this reaping and sowing principle is active and it cannot uh, be violated. Even the Bible tells us God is not mocked, a man reaps what he sows. And in the human experience, we know that very well, don't we? For instance, if you drink and drive, bad things happen. That's a reaping and sowing principle. Uh, If you do this, then this will happen. God says that and establishes that all through his word. As a matter of fact, to get you thinking on the right uh, road, uh, now don't shoot the messenger here. One of my favorite comedians is Tim Hawkins. He's a Christian comedian, takes secular songs, rewrites words, and a song he did, uh, after patterned after a Green Day song, The Time of Your Life, goes like this. Here are the lyrics. Do you remember the song, Time of Your Life? All right, I hope you had the time of your life, all right? The first line's a tough one. I, I struggled with whether to read it or not, but okay, if we can get past the first one, we'll be okay. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? <laughs> that dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking because I'm trying to watch the game? And here's the course. If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. (laughs) Next verse. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you because I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. (laughs) If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. All right, one more verse. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. (laughs) If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. 
And then a reprise, if you're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife, these are the things you don't say to your wife. Now, why do I use that example? It's the ultimate example of cause and effect. I know as a husband, I've been married 30 years, and if I said those things to my wife, I would die. (laughs) And if you said those things to your wife, you wouldn't be here to hear this sermon. That's called cause and effect. They're just some things you don't do. Now, the scripture in Galatians 6 puts a positive spin on this. It says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, in other words, if your entire life is about pleasurable satisfaction and meeting the desires of the flesh without any parameters, it says ultimately you're going to reap destruction. Whoever sows to the spirit, however, will from the spirit reap eternal life. If you invest in the soul, the essential you, then you will live. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. A pastor's job is incredibly difficult. You don't have any idea how many times I've sat across the table from somebody and I've wanted to say this. I've wanted to say, you did what? And you expected that? It doesn't work that way. One of my favorite movies, Bruce Almighty. At the point in the movie where Bruce realizes his, his sin, he, he begins to pray and repent. The problem is, he kneels down in the middle of a busy highway to pray and he's hit by a truck. And the next scene is he's asking God why he died. And God's response is, dude, you can't kneel down in the middle of the street and live to tell about it. Even if your intentions are good, there's a reaping and sowing. There's a cause and effect that's built in. One of the things I'm concerned about that I talk about in our universities, one of the things I'm worried about is how we are raising an entire generation to ignore absolute moral values. And so we're raising people in Harvard, Princeton, Yale, in our Ivy League schools and our institutions of higher learning. We're telling them that there's no such thing as objective moral law. And then we're surprised when they go out and do things like Enron and Ponzi schemes and insider trading. Well, they're only living out what we've told them, that right and wrong is left up to each individual. It's for you to decide that there are no moral absolutes. That's another Example of reap and sow of cause and effect. If you, if you raise a generation to believe that, then the next generation is going to wreak havoc on each other because morality is left up to the individual. Now, when a person becomes a Christ follower, this whole thing of reaping and sowing goes on steroids. Why? Well, because you came to a point in your life when you said, I'm a sinner. And you realize that the pastor's a sinner and the musicians are sinners and all of you are sinners and everybody here, that we're all sinners and we're in desperate need. And the only way we can be put right with God is if our sin is taken care of. And God sends his son to die on a cross and he takes our sins, past, present, future. And no matter where we've been or what we've done, we are forgiven through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. The trajectory of our life changes toward eternity. However, when you do that, God says, great, now I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you and I'm going to shape and mold you into the image of my son. So this reaping and sowing principle, now think about it, we've said before, the principles God gives you is not because he wants to be the big bad cosmic boss, he gives them to you because he wants you to have a life, an abundant life. But He's not, gonna, he's not like a parent who becomes an enabler. He's not going to let you violate the principles of the scripture in areas of your life and then pour out his blessings on you. No. No, there's, there's a scenario of reaping and sowing. If you do, if you sow this, you're going to reap this. And if you think God's going to just make an exception out of you, 
doesn't work like that. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so Jesus didn't talk about any area as much as he did uh, your resources in your life. Now, let me just stop here. I preach this message once a year, okay? So if you're here and you're thinking, man, last time I was here, he talked about this. That tells me that you haven't been in a year. It also tells me, wow, what a coincidence. You happen to come the same Sunday I was talking about what I was last year. You think God's trying to say something to you? Let, hear me out on this, okay? Hear me out, because let me, let me say from the get-go, this is not about your salvation. It's not. You are saved by grace through faith. You're saved through what Jesus did on the cross. That's not what this message is about. This message is about one simple truth. If you want God to be involved in this area of your life, then these are the things he requires. If you don't want God to be involved in this area of your life, then you can ignore these things. It's that simple. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of discipleship. Do you want God involved in this area of your life? You know, it's kind of like two people who say to me, and I, I know I use this example a lot because it's prevalent in our society. It's like two people come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, my girlfriend and I are sleeping together, but we're not married. But we want you to bless our wedding. <laughs> so here, here let, me, let me get this straight. You want to violate what God says you should do in marriage, and then you want God to bless your wedding and your future. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It doesn't work like that. Now, is there grace and forgiveness and mercy? Of course there are, but there needs to be repentance. And repentance would mean this. We're not going to live together anymore until we're married. That's called repentance. That's called turning around and doing the right thing so that I may sow into something so that I might reap a great harvest. Now, the Bible says that more than you want God to bless you, God wants to bless you. God loves his children and he wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you in every area of your life. And so in every area that you give to God, God says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. But the blessings in our lives, no matter what area, especially when it comes to our resources, our time, talents, and our money, when it comes to that, there seems to be one overriding principle in scripture that God will not violate. And it's this. Put God first, and he will redeem the rest. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff's message is about cause and effect, and we're being reminded that God is not an enabler. His blessing comes when we put him first. Put God first, and he will redeem the rest. In Exodus chapter 13, consecrate to me the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it's mine. Give me the firstborn of your cattle, of your sheep, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So what's the principle? From the get-go in the Old Testament, he says, in order that I may know and that you yourself may know, that you acknowledge that everything you have came from me, and everything that you own right now really belongs to me as a sign that you truly believe that and you're not just giving words, that you would bring the first fruits of every area of your life and dedicate it to me. That there was only one of two options. 
You either dedicate it to me or redeem it. Obviously, God's not into child sacrifice, so don't give me your firstborn child. Redeem the child with a lamb. And there was no third option. That was it. Now, why would God do this? Over in the New Testament, New Testament, Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So God knew that when you and I have a sheep farm and we have a little lamb, we have no guarantee that any other little lambs will come. So if we give the first little lamb to God, it's God's way and our way of knowing God, I give what is rightfully yours to you, trusting you to provide more in the future. God almost, God says to you, okay, you trust me, you first. When the first portion is given to God, the rest is redeemed. Can we say that together? On the count of three, it's on the screen. One, two, three. When the first portion is given to God, the rest is redeemed. Now look at how God demonstrated that in the New Testament. This isn't some kind of Old Testament law that fades away. It's a principle from Genesis to Revelation. What does God do? God gives his firstborn son in order that the rest might be redeemed. The Christians worshiped on the first day of the week. They moved from the Sabbath on Saturday to the day one. Why on Sunday? Because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead and because God is establishing and continuing this principle. Give me the first day of your week. Honor the first day of your week. And guess what I'll do? I'll redeem the rest of it. That's why I told a lot of people the first day becomes a non-negotiable. I honor God with the very first of my week, the very first of my breath, the very first of my resources. Trusting God will redeem the rest. Give God the first, he'll redeem the rest. It's not only the firstborn, though, and the animals. Let's say you're not a, uh, let's say you're not a, a cattle herder, that you're, a, you're just a farmer. And in that case, God says, I want you to bring the first fruits. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with all your possessions. And with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So there seems to be this direct correlation then between you putting God first and God opening the windows of heaven and blessing you. In every area of your life, it's cause and effect. It's reaping so. Let me say it again. God is not an enabler. You violate this principle, you're still saved. You're saved by grace through faith. God loves you. You go to heaven. But don't expect God to reward bad behavior. So if you don't give him this area of your life, you have no reason to get angry with God when you feel like he's not providing. That's the simple truth. Now, I think as you read scripture, that what you discover is a God who wants his people to actively demonstrate externally what they say they believe on the inside. And I think it's just as much for their good as it is for their knowledge of what is good. So, for instance, I think God says to all of us, you know what? Talk is cheap. You can go to church. You can go to the tabernacle or the temple and you can say God is great all you want. But show me what you really believe by honoring me. Show me that you truly believe that everything you have is a gift from God and that God owns everything, including the cattle on a thousand hills. And do that not by just speaking. Demonstrate it. By giving me the first things and the promise I'll make to you, God says, is I will redeem, save, bless the rest. It's repeated over and over. Sunday worship, first day of the week. Firstborn, the cattle, the sheep, first fruits, 
first of your produce. Even when they conquered the first city, when they went in to the promised land, remember what happened to the story of Jericho? You know, so tall, you can't get over it. So wide, you can't get around it. So low, you can't go under it. I never knew what that meant, actually, the low part. What does that mean? But anyway, it was big. And God said, when you go in to take Jericho, I want everything, everything. So this is different now. He's saying, I want all of it. Why? Because it was the first city out of the 10 that they conquered. Do you see how this pattern just keeps going? God says, give me the spoils of the first city. You can have the rest. But I want to know that you know and believe that the battle truly belongs to the Lord in every area of living. And if you honor me by giving me the first fruits in any area of life, then I will redeem the rest. Now, the scary part is it appears that God doesn't take too kindly to a violation of this simple principle. In Joshua 6, we read these words in verse 17 and then 18 and following. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, and the son of Zimri, and the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against them. And so the pattern that God establishes is that you bring the first fruits, they'll be consecrated and set apart for kingdom work. But if you take those first fruits, it's like you're taking something that belongs to God. And then you bring a curse. Now, let's be careful here. Pastors get a little bit overboard. It's not you that's cursed. It's the process of opening the windows of heaven. God still loves you. You're saved by grace through faith. He's actively involved in your life, every area of your life that you honor him. But, but what is cursed is this process of where God wants to, as a loving father, if he truly loves you, come on. It seems to me that if God truly loves me, he wants to bless me. And he's given me the pattern by which blessing comes. Honor me with the first fruits. And so, the firstborn, the first fruits, the tithe. But if we take it to ourselves, it becomes a curse. Not that God curses us, that's ridiculous. But the whole process is cursed and circumvented. Now, that's where we come to Malachi 3, the last book in the, Bible, in the Old Testament. 400 years of silence after Malachi before God sends Christ into the world. And what's interesting about Malachi, they're just like us. They had everything. We got so much, don't we? Come on now. Come on. We, uh, remember, two-thirds of the world not sure they're going to have pure drinking water. Most of you, you're already thinking about where you're going to eat after the service is over. So Malachi 3, God's given them everything. They go into the temple and they give him lip service, but they don't honor him. God's had enough of this. And it's almost like I'm going to give you these final words and then I'm going to be silent for 400 years until I send the Messiah. But just so you know, he says, verse six, I, the Lord, do not change. And interesting, I don't change. What's happened from the beginning is happening now and happening in the future. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I love that line. Well, God is saying, you know what? Because of your pride and arrogance and you really think you're a self-made man or woman, because there might be some people in here right now thinking, hey, wait a minute. Everything doesn't belong to God. I earned this. Oh, really? Who gave you the hands and the mind and the brain? Who shaped and formed you while you were in your mother's womb? Who gave you the ability and talent that you have right now to be able to do what you need to do to make a living? Oh, you think you're self-made? You think you breathe life into yourself? No, the Bible says you're not self-made. You didn't do anything to get here. 
God shaped and formed you while you were in your mother's womb. And if you had the ability to earn a lot of money, that came from God. If you have the ability to fix things, if you have the ability, I don't know, whatever your ability is to stand on a stage and speak to people and hope they don't kill you before it's over, whatever it is, whatever it is, it comes from God. And just as God gave it, he can take it away. So he says, because God's a merciful God, he doesn't slap you down in your arrogance and your punk attitude that you're self-made because God is a God of grace and he really does want to bless his children. Verse seven, ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Basically, the writer's saying this, your attitude about money is the same one your parents had and the same one their parents had. It's a cycle that keeps going on and on. Somewhere along the line, somebody's got to break it. The reason I believe in this is because my father taught me. My father believed if you really want to show your kids that you love them and you're really concerned about their financial viability in the future, the best thing you could do as a parent is to teach them to tithe from the day one. Because the promise of scripture is if you honor God with the first fruits that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on you. G. Campbell Morgan reminds us that sacrilege, we usually define it by saying that we take something holy and we use it in a profound fashion. But he said, sacrilege is also taking something that means little or nothing to you and giving that to God. So that's the person who in the offering plate comes by with no intention. Let me see if I got any loose change. Something that means nothing to me and giving it to God or little to me. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Join us next time to hear more about the teaching of reaping what we sow that is illustrated throughout the Bible. The point is, your offering to God is not supposed to be an afterthought. It's intentionality. You set it aside, the first top 10% at your first opportunity. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.